Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And it's spooky time once again. Yeah. Today, Scott has introduced me to a horror classic. Scott, what movie did we watch today? We watched Alien. Ridley Scott's 1979 classic starring Sigourney Weaver with a host of other amazing actors. Yes, all of which we will get to. So, Scott, why did you want to introduce me to this movie in particular? This is a horror movie. Right. From beginning to end, this is... It's it's a monster movie. It's a horror monster movie at its core in space. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I feel like a lot of the horror in this movie comes from just the atmosphere that's created and not necessarily like jump scare, jump scare again, jump scare again. So, I mean, jump scares definitely do exist in this movie, but they are few and far between. There's only three I can really think of. Yeah. And they're all effective. Yeah. But yes, because the a- they're not overused, you know. Nowadays, how many horror movies do we see where somebody opens a cupboard and a cat jumps out at them? <laughs> well, now I gotta do that supernatural scene. <laughs> exactly. That was scary. So, as Scott said. This movie was released in 1979 and was directed by Ridley Scott, who's obviously a very infamous director. He's helmed such films as Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, The Martian, and many, many others. Fun fact, Ridley Scott has gone on record saying that he drew inspiration for this film from films like Star Wars A New Hope. Makes sense. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Also makes sense. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay, yeah, uh, horror. Yeah, okay. Which all kind of, yeah, it all makes sense. New Hope, particularly because this oh, was yeah. two years after A New Hope well, came yeah. out. Well, yeah, the first shot in this movie is of the ship in the Stromo, which is our main location throughout the movie and then the Stromo is introduced very similarly to the Imperial Star Destroyers from Star Wars with the long undershot so yeah he definitely took some liberties from Star Wars Ridley Scott while all his movies tend to be very good they also tend to be on the long side and can sometimes be heavy well it's funny you mentioned the length because this movie was Two hours long, but it it felt longer than that because of the pacing of the film. However, the original cut of the movie was over three hours long. Yeah. So. (laughs) That's another Ridley Scott classic. Because I got to say, I I did like the movie. I'm not going to lie. I liked the movie. But at times the pacing was like too much on the slow side. I mean, I get the purpose behind it. But there were times throughout this movie where I was like a little bored, for lack of a better word, 
But once things picked up, it was a little more exciting. But even after things started getting crazy, there were points where it just would slow down randomly and not come to a complete stop, but just kind of slow down a little bit. And it took me out of it a tiny bit. Well, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I was actually introduced to Aliens first before I was introduced to Alien. Ah, okay. Is that wait? Is Aliens the one where Bill Paxton goes "Game over, man! Game over!" Is that that? Yes. Oh, okay. So I I know of it obviously, but I don't know. I this is the first time I've been exposed to the Alien franchise. Yes. Uh, Aliens is very much an action movie. While this is definitely a horror movie, with the one alien compared to Aliens, which when we get to that, that is action and a great deal of aliens. Ah, okay. Hence, pluralization of the title. Yeah, makes sense. (laughs) And that's the other thing. Other people say the director's cut is crazy because Ridley Scott always has a director's cut. Mm -hmm. Hence, Blade Runner having 10, 12 cuts (laughs) of the movie. (laughs) But I love Blade Runner. Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies. So I was excited to watch this because Ridley Scott, you know. But I I do like Blade Runner better. (laughs) I, I get it. I understand. But this movie, Alien, definitely has a lot of love universally. It won the Saturn Award for Best Sci-Fi Film. It is number 53 in the IMDb top list of movies. And it was entered into the National Film Registry in 2002. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got uh, a 98% critic score and a 94% audience score. So pretty much universally beloved yeah it definitely deserves all of that again not knocking it every movie has something wrong with it no there really is no perfect movie except back to the future (laughs) even back to the future you could probably nitpick if you really wanted to blasphemy (laughs) Um, this film was written by a Mr. Ronald Shusett and a Mr. Dan O'Bannon, two of the three writers on Total Recall, which also kind of makes sense. Yes. Also, at the 1980 Oscars, it was nominated for two Oscars and won just one of them. H.R. Geiger, who did the special effects for this movie, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, he won the oscar for best visual effects damn straight which still hold up oh which yeah which is pretty incredible considering 1979 i mean i would say they hold up better than the effects in the original star wars yeah i de- definitely could argue that but yeah, I, I could see your point but it was also nominated for best set direction and lost to all that jazz come on baby why don't we paint And all that jazz, I'm gonna rouge my knees and roll my stockings down. And all that jazz... Okay. I basically only said that so I could put in that little clip of all that jazz. But uh, that's definitely an interesting claim about H.R. Geiger stuff compared to Star Wars. I do think this is more... As much as it's about an alien, this is a little more grounded than Star Wars is. Yeah, a lot of that has to do, I think, with the cast, too, because I think the cast, their chemistry all together really seems very organic. 
So, yeah, I dug it. Maybe not as much as I was expecting to. Because I, I've, you know, obviously Alien has a lot of hype. But I'm still excited to talk about it because it's spooky. Yes, it definitely is spooky. Okay, so it is time now to get into the nitty and the gritty. And we kind of start a little slow as well with the plain looking title cards. And I forgot Sigourney Weaver is technically not the main star of this movie. Yeah, that's an interesting thing I wanted to bring up. Tom Skerritt is the first build actor yes. in this film. And I think Sigourney was second. Yes. So what's interesting about it is like the first half of the movie really kind of sets up Tom Skerritt's character, Dallas. He's the captain of the ship. He set, They pretty much set him up as the main character. And spoiler alert, halfway through the movie, he's no longer the main character. <laughs> I just think it's very unique, at least at the, I'm sure at this time. Now it happens a little more often. But I feel like at this time, it had to be super unique and like probably a shock to audiences watching this for the first time in theaters or whatnot, going through half the movie thinking that this guy was going to like be the savior, you know, and be the last man standing and turns out not so much, <laughs> not even the second to last man standing. <laughs> no, uh, honestly, I always thought, even though it's funny because the movie comes out three years later, I always thought. Dallas was a discount McCready from the thing. Yeah, I can see that. He's got that, like, gruff 70s guy look. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because Kurt Russell in the thing, he had that 70s hot guy look. He did. Today, he would be, like, an average dude. But, like, by 70s standards, he was fucking sexy. And the same thing with Tom Skerritt, I would say, in this movie. The heavy facial hair, the got lots of arm hair going on as well in this film like lots of lots of hairiness and gruffness but the hair is perfect though it's like the hair is like perfectly jostled you know it's it's a little shaggy but not too much it's taken care of yes it's primped it's permed it's sexy we love it the 70s was a lot about hair, guys. Like the 60s and 70s it was and the all 80s. about the hair. Well, that's true too, but it was yeah, it was just like evolving over it, time. And then like towards the 90s we got into like the manscaping phase and we went the other way. Like yeah, clean cut. We had to be clean cut. Yeah. Except for the punk style, which was then like everything had to be pointy in different directions. Yeah, that too. Style is a weird thing, man. It's weird how it is evolved over time and devolved as well it's very odd but anyway we got off on a tangent there we did but yeah so sigourney weaver's the second bill of this movie yes and this was her big break and the character of ripley who is sigourney's character was originally supposed to be a man which i find hilarious because ripley in this movie is fucking badass because literally throughout this whole movie she is fully capable and soon proves herself to be capable of running this shit and she proves that because every time she says something like oh we need to do this oh we should be doing this she's right right and everyone's like oh no you silly woman you let the men handle this and it's like 
it, they don't outright say that, but like it's heavily implied and it's annoying because you know she's right. And it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> she has become an icon. And yes, this catapulted Sigourney Weaver, who is still working to this day. Oh, yeah. She's a queen. And she's honestly amazing whenever she does show up in something yeah she like i've never seen her i'm sure she has bad movies if i looked at her filmography because everyone's got a bad movie but you can have a bad movie and still give a decent performance and i think sigourney weaver is one of those actors that like no matter what she's in she at least gives it her all you know yeah hell even when she has a small part like in cabin in the woods Oh yeah, I forgot that. I forgot she's in Cabin in the Woods. She's awesome. She she comes into the scene and is just yeah. she takes over. So, after our opening credits, yes. We meet our crew of the Nostromo. Yes, the Nostromo. So we we already talked about Dallas and Ripley. So, let's go through the rest of our crew yes. here. Yes. It's actually a very small crew. Yeah, it's only 7 people. But what I do want to mention, actually, before we get into the actual crew, the first six minutes of this movie, there's absolutely no dialogue, and it's just panning through different locations throughout the ship. It's definitely a a slow sequence, but it gives very strong, like, haunted house vibes, and it just reminded me of like if you wake up in like the dead of night and you need to like go to the restroom or something and you just hear like little creaks in the house and it's like a little creepy but like oh it's just you know it's just the house like it, it reminded me of that kind of thing so I get the purpose of it and we cut to the ship turning on and the crew being woken up because they were in stasis the crew wakes up and they're like I guess we gotta be close to earth but it turns out they're nowhere near Earth, but the ship has picked up a radio beacon that may be an SOS, but they can't tell. This is where we should introduce the crew because uh, we have our two engineers who are very much bickering that they should be paid more. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we have Parker and Brett, played by Yafet Kodo and Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, respectively yeah. Harry Dean Stanton if you don't know that name we talked about him in our Pretty in Pink review he played the father in that he movie did? Uh, and he's he's great yeah he, he's amazing in this they're both great I really liked uh, Yafet Kodo too. oh Yafet Kodo which is crazy because like I've never seen him in anything else and it's like he did really good in this why didn't he have a big career after this yeah, it's I, kind I, of like a bummer it definitely is because he, he Honestly, besides Ripley, I feel like he was the second most standout character of this. Yeah, I'd say that for sure. I mean, I think everybody in the crew does a good job, but I think Yafet Kodo's character of Parker is definitely a standout. He's pretty well developed, and he's just a cool character. He's got a little wisecrack sense of humor. Yeah, and he's, he's a hothead a little bit. A little bit, definitely a little bit. We get introduced to... Executive Officer Kane, Medical Officer Ash, and Lampert. Kane is played by John Hurt, mm-hmm. who is a legend. He's played a million and one things. He played Ollivander in Harry Potter. He played the Doctor for a short time on Doctor Who. You're my future selves. Yes. Am I having a midlife crisis? <laughs> 
Why are you pointing your screwdrivers like that? They're scientific instruments, not water pistols. Yeah, he's just one of them Brits that is like the shit as far as acting. Uh, and then we get our science officer, Ash, played by Ian Holm, who played Bilbo in Lord of the Rings. Yes, he did. Which I, I still don't really want to watch, but I know you're going to make me watch it eventually. Eventually, we'll get there. I'm, again, not in the rush. I fell asleep the first time I tried to watch Lord of the Rings. I fell asleep. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then finally we get Lambert, played by Veronica Cartwright, who I recognized, but I couldn't figure out from where. So I went to the old intranets and I figured it out. And of course, I recognized her from Supernatural. <laughs> she was this like badass character with an eye patch in season 12. She's, yeah, I remember it. I have a problem. The Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> Pepperidge Farm remembers. Remember those sweet, warm New England summers? Remember sipping lemonade underneath a shady tree? Remember when you hit that pedestrian with your car at the crosswalk and then just drove away? Pepperidge Farm remembers. Oh, I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, but I remember a like one-off character from season 12 of Supernatural. I have a problem. I'm seeking treatment. Don't you worry. Now that we've met the crew. <laughs> yes, we've met, we've met the entire crew. Uh, they have now woken up from hypersleep, and they're, they're a little like, okay, fine, let's go down to this this random planet figure out what this beacon is so they go down to the planet and immediately there's issues they kind of have to land awkwardly because the planet is not flat and there's a breach in the hull that parker and bill have to fix dallas lambert and kane decide they're going to go explore to find the ship that's Sending off this beacon. Ash and Ripley are going to stay on the ship with Parker and Bill, who are, have to fix the hull. And I do want to mention, in regards to like the chemistry between this crew, I I do think it's interesting because it gives off a very clear like work friends vibe, and. I mean, for any of us working Americans out there listening, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, we're not like BFFs or anything, but like we're, you know, we're working together. We're in the trenches together and, you know, we get along and get the job done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe we go out for drinks after work. Maybe we go across the street to Buffalo Wild Wings, have ourselves a nice tequila shot. But that sounded really specific there. Um, I don't know what you mean, Scott. I, I didn't work at a particular retail store and go across the street to a Buffalo Wild Wings and take shots with my friends before we had to close. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know why you're accusing me of such things. Get off my back. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, like, it's interesting, like, the dynamic between everybody. Yeah, it definitely is. So the three who went off find the ship. And are exploring the creepy ship. I will say the visuals are cool, though. Yes, the visuals are very cool. I know, I think the ship is explained in Prometheus. 
I never saw it because I didn't want to. I heard it was not great. Uh, I've heard mixed things about it. And, uh, well, I've heard a lot of mixed things about Alien Covenant more towards the negative. And honestly, after 3 and 4, I, I kind of fell off the Alien series in general. There's a lot of practical effects in this movie that I feel like if movie were done today, it would be relying heavily on CGI. But considering that the effects are practical and they hold up as well as they do, I think that's a real testament to the film. Yeah. Ripley starts decoding the message from the beacon and finds out that it's not an SOS. It's a warning. Yeah, but, like, the communication is fucked up so she can't get that message through to the three of them that are out there. So she's just kind of stuck waiting for them to come back. Yeah, Ash basically says, well, they're already there, so it's not like you worth you going out there to find them. Yeah, Ash, throughout the film, he's pretty cold and pretty uh, detached, and I was, like, immediately suspicious of him. Um, I don't know if that's glaringly obvious to anyone who hasn't seen the movie before, but yeah, I just found him very suspicious from the get-go. And I was very proud of myself when, spoiler alert, later on I was proven to be right that he was suspicious. (laughs) Yes, he definitely was suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. While they're exploring the ship, the the scary, spooky ship, Kane... No, Scott, you're saying it wrong. It's scary, spooky ship. ship. Uh, Kane... It sounds like I'm saying cookie crisp. Cookie. <laughs> I remember that commercial. Cookie crisp. <laughs> the one with the big chocolate chip cookie taste. Oh, yes. Kane stumbles in on a room filled with eggs. So what does Kane do? He goes into the mist. I'm a poke it with a stick. <laughs> he might as well have poked it with a goddamn like, stick. Like literally, poor John Hurt. He's like, "Wow, it's moving inside. That's crazy." And then the egg opens. Yeah. And it's the it's still the creepiest opening egg because it's just the top comes open. Oh god, it's just ugly looking. And John Hurt looks in, and the face hugger grabs his face. Right through the mask, and he goes down. Yeah, that was kind of a jump scare, I guess. But I saw that one coming just because I I know enough about the franchise to know face huggers are a thing, and like I knew that John Hurt wasn't gonna make it very long in this movie. <laughs> but it it is really creepy. Like when they they do bring him back to the ship, and there's a whole confrontation about them getting back into the ship, which we'll talk about in a second. But I do want to mention because eventually they do get back in the ship, and they take off John Hurt's spacesuit, and they reveal him with the face hugger on, and it just looks very creepy and eerie because his breaths are really pronounced and like slow and steady. But then he, there's just this fucking creature just, like, consuming his face. It's, like, oh, it's really uncomfortable to look at. Yeah, it's it's not, a, it's not a pretty sight. Dallas and Lambert bring John Hurt back to the ship because, you know, that's what they are going to do. The door is closed. They message up to Ripley, and they're like, Ripley, let us in. 
Kane has something attached to his face. And Ripley's like, no. He's got to go into quarantine for 24 hours before we even think about letting him in. Yeah, and she kind of goes back and forth with them. Because Dallas is like, that's an order. You let me in. She's like, I'm acting officer right now. And there's a quarantine protocol. And if you were in my position, you'd do the exact same thing. Because, and, you know, Tom Scarrett's like, oh, you know, came on last 24 hours. So we need to bring him in. And she's like, if you bring him in and he's, you know, infected with something, some parasite, it could infect and kill everyone on the fucking ship. And this is the first instance throughout the film where, like, yeah, she's absolutely right. Let's stick with the protocol. Let's stick with the plan, man. But Ash, being the man with the penis that he is, he overrides Ripley, even though she's the second in command, and just lets them in. And she's fucking pissed at Ash, which rightfully so, because, bitch, I'm in charge. (laughs) Fuck you. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely uh, like fuck because she she knows. Uh, later on in the movie, she does give Ash a bunch of shit for it because she's like, Ash, when Dallas and Kane are off the ship, I'm senior officer. You a woman? No. <laughs> a woman. Whoa, man. Whoa, man. <laughs> oh God. So. They again. They bring in Kane. They put him on the operating table. They cut off his helmet because the face hugger has eaten through the helmet and is attached to his face. The tail is wrapped around Kane's neck, and every time they go to touch the fingers of the face hugger, it tightens the tail around Kane's neck. Yeah, it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> Especially for someone that's uh, claustrophobic. I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> Dallas is like, we have to get this off him. No matter what, cut the fucking fingers off. If he dies, you know what? At least we tried to save him. Yeah, because Ash makes the point that the creature has something sticking down his throat, giving him oxygen. So if they take the thing off, it could kill Kane. And... Dallas is rightfully so saying, yeah, but better he dies himself than live with this fucking alien thing on his face. Like, what are we supposed to do? We got to get it off. So Ash is like, well, you're going to take responsibility if things go wrong. He's like, yes, I'll take shut the fuck up and let's do it. So they go over to Kane and the face hugger and they start to cut it off. But the second they cut one of the little feelers corrosive acid falls out and splatters all over the floor and then starts to eat through the floor and goes two or three floors down in the ship oh it's not a good sign Uh, yeah no I would say not (laughs) I would say acid blood is the opposite of a good sign some time has now passed they've kind of fixed the ship and Suddenly, Ash calls the crew down to Kane because he's like, hey, the facehugger's gone. Dun, dun, dun. So now they get down to the medical bay. The facehugger is no longer on Kane's face. They're searching for it. It drops onto Ripley from the ceiling. And they start looking at it. And it's clearly dead. 
Ripley's like, let's get rid of it. But Nash is like, no, we gotta bring it back. It's a specimen. They both look at Dallas and like, come on, like, you know, say something and he's like, oh, Ash is right. We gotta take it back. And Ripley's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Hello? (laughs) Again, I'm right. You're wrong. Shut up. Listen to me. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Dallas looks at Ripley and goes, on all matters of science, Ash gets the final say. Mm -hmm. And she goes, what the fuck is that shit? (laughs) So she's quite annoyed with Dallas. She's just quite annoyed in general because, goddamn, she deserves fucking respect. What's the matter, Rodney? Uh, I don't get no respect at all. But I do want to mention something in particular about Ripley and Dallas because when I was watching the movie, they did seem to have a certain bond just between the two of them. When the face hugger falls onto Ripley, he like pushes her down and like covers her and try and protect her. And when they have their little argument about Ash, you know, keeping the fucking thing, they do, like, they argue, but they also, you can sense a certain closeness between them, a certain camaraderie different from some of the other crew members. And in my research, you know, as the one-woman research team for Shoot the Flick, I read something that said there was supposed to be a sex scene between Dallas and Ripley in the movie, that was scripted but never got shot it's interesting because even later in the movie there's a certain point where dallas is in some mortal peril you know in a horror movie someone's bound to be in mortal peril sooner or later yep and um ripley has certain reactions when dallas is in trouble that kind of give a very subtle it's not like overt at all just i only feel maybe because i knew that information that it came across that like they have a certain bond you know what i mean yeah during this altercation we also do find out that ash is new to the crew ah sketchy sketchy they had another medical officer but right before they left on this last journey the company put ash on their ship. The company, you say? Yes, the company. They now leave the planet, go back to the Nostromo in space. And Kane wakes up. He seems no worse for wear. Yeah, he's a little out of it, but he seems okay. And then, you know, they're all chatting. They're like, oh, well, we're 10 months out from Earth, so that kind of sucks. But, you know, we'll be all right. Yada, yada, yada. And then they sit down for a meal together, the crew. And this is where we get the scene, guys. Yes. <laughs> the fucking scene that everybody knows from this movie. So they sit down. They're eating food. Parker's busting Kane's balls a little bit. And then Kane starts to choke on what you ask. No idea, but the crew's trying to hold him down to try and, like, figure out what's wrong. Uh, I know you have a fact about this moment. Oh, yes, I certainly do. Well, this scene is pretty iconic. Yes. This is the infamous chest-bursting scene. It's been parodied a million times, including in Spaceballs, which is what I knew it from. Oh, no. Not again. This scene was done in one take yep. with four cameras. 
John Hurt had to stick his head, shoulders, and arms through a hole in the table, linking up with a mechanical torso packed with compressed air and animal guts. So the, the cast was told... They were told basically that something was going to happen, but they weren't sure exactly what was going to happen. Essentially, what does happen is John Hurt's choking, choking, and he's freaking out. And then all of a sudden, his stomach bursts open with a big burst of blood. And then this tiny little creature comes out. Actually, the one who gets this scene the worst is uh, Miss Cartwright. Because she gets blasted with fake blood. Yeah, yeah. And she had no idea that was coming. And she genuinely screams. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty a pretty gnarly scene. When shit starts getting real, they show everybody's reactions to it. And everybody is obviously very upset and freaking out. Except for Ash. Ash is seen there sitting just calm as a cucumber. And... You're like, hmm, suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but then Yafet Kodo, when the little creature comes out of Kane's stomach, he picks up like a knife and is about to stab it. And Ash is like, no, 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 don't touch it. Don't touch it. And then it, it ends up running away off into the ship somewhere. But uh, before we move on, I did want to mention one other thing in regards to Kane that I found interesting in the beginning of the movie, he's the first person to wake up from the hypersleep. And his first line is, oh, I feel dead. <laughs> and then later on, he's the first one to die. So, like, you know. Foreshadowing. We love that. We love a good script, man. That's good shit. That is very good. Uh, so, yes. So now they have to go find this creature. <laughs> Hey guys, quick break from the main show here. Just wanted to take a minute to shine a light on some other podcasts that Scotty and I really enjoy. Check it out now. Have you ever wondered who would make the sexiest zombie? Matt Damon. Pepper me with your Damon teeth all up on me. What would happen if your penis was where your head should be? They have to have something to look at like a face that would eventually become my face. <laughs> the Center Cut. A podcast where Michael and Dave only watch the beginnings and ends of your favorite movies and TV shows and try to figure out the middle. Just search The Center Cut everywhere you find podcasts. And remember, it's always better in the center. It's time to feel the rage. Join us on Film Rage, where we talk movies, current releases, coming attractions, streaming, and classic films as well. Directors and actors, beware as you cannot hide from the rage. My name is Bryce, and I'm part of the Film Rage crew, which also includes Jim. Hey, hey. And Murray. Yo. Why is he always talk? All the time. I can't understand I why. This, this, is, this is the Merman, the voice of reason. These two can't agree on anything most of the time. Some movies are Mondo. Some are just Every week, something is going to make us rage. Join us every Wednesday and feel the rage. Ash has these boxes that can read changes in air density. Supposedly, that's going to help them track this creature in this ship. It is very suspicious, but okay, sure. Dallas says, okay, let's split up into groups of three. And we follow the group of Ripley, Parker, and Brett. And they're kind of looking around. And they get led to this locker. 
They're like, oh, God, what's in this locker? Okay, get the net ready. Get our, uh, our, our basically our shock pole ready. And, you know, we're going to catch this thing. They open the locker. It's a cat. <coughs> Brett lets the cat run by them. This cat, Jonesy. Damn you, Jonesy. Again, we have another uh, cat character in our spoopy movies. Harry Dean Stanton then goes into the next room and starts trying to call the cat and looking for him like, here, kitty, 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 kitty. It's just like, dude, we have a fucking crazy unknown alien running around the ship. Maybe, you know, priorities. While he's looking for the cat, he finds some loose skin on the floor. Ah, yes. Do you want to know what that little pile of gunk was, practically? What was it, practically? Um, it was shredded condoms and huh. KY jelly. Oh, that works. It, it just looks like a big glob of snot. <laughs> yeah, I, I just always thought it was like snakeskin. Yeah, that's basically what it looks like. Uh, So I'm like, okay, that's not a good sign. Apparently, like, there's a lot of sexual undertones in the movie. According to, like, the writer and the director, there was meant to be some sexual symbolism throughout the film. Like, for example, the face hugger attaching itself to Cain is, like, symbolizing male sexual assault. And the the chestburster is, like, giving birth and... This is stuff that I read on the intranets. I don't know. It's fucking crazy. But then I I didn't buy it at first. But then there's a scene later on where I'm like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Well, we'll get there. So finally, Brett finds Jonesy. But the alien in all its glory. Oh, yes. It's like a fully grown thing now. Comes up from behind him and basically kills him real quick. This alien... It still looks fucking scary. Yes. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. So the alien, the xenomorph, was designed by Swiss surrealist H.R. Geiger, who, as I said before, won an Oscar for this work. He did an alien. Uh, he has worked on several different movies, most of them being alien sequels. He's designed album covers. He designed the video game Dark Seed. I don't know if you've heard of that. No. And, um, yeah, how do I describe the look of the alien? It's, it essentially looks like a creepy tar-covered branch with a big hockey helmet on or something. It is one of the most horrifying monsters that yeah. I think was ever created. But also, obviously, H.R. Geiger gets a lot of credit for the xenomorph look, rightfully so. But I did want to give some love and credit to the guy in the suit for the xenomorph. Much like Predator, they had a very tall, very slender, nimble dude playing the role. Uh, His name is Balaji Badeo. He is a Nigerian artist, and he was discovered in a pub by the casting director. He was seven foot, one inch tall, very thin. Uh, He took Tai Chi classes, mime classes. But unfortunately, after this movie, he kind of disappeared into the unknown. 
but they went with a human in a suit because the animatronics on such a large scale just weren't up to par at this time. No. But what I also found interesting, I found this little nugget. They almost got uh, Peter Mayhew to do the part. And if you don't know who that is, that is the gentleman who was in the suit for Chewbacca in Star Wars. So I have a question for you here since now we've seen the xenomorph. Mm-hmm. What do you think is scarier looking, the xenomorph or the predator? The xenomorph. I think because it's so like slick and sleek and it's very stealthy. Not that the predator wasn't stealthy too, but just the look of the predator was kind of more... Human? Human and goofy, I was going to say. Just because like the dreads and the... A little, a little too goofy for my taste. Uh, kind of just looked like a Power Rangers villain. But this, at least, this looks like something fucked up out of somebody's nightmares. You know what I mean? Oh, it definitely is. Uh, they find Brett's body. And Parker's very upset. Right, because that's his buddy. Yeah, you know, he's upset. He's like, what the fuck? My friend's dead. You know, we got to fucking kill this motherfucker. And Dallas is like, okay, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of lead it to the airlock. Uh, You're going to give me a flamethrower. And I'm going to go into the vents and kind of help try and get it towards the airlock. So, as you are well aware at this point, that does not go well. (laughs) Nope. Uh he basically gets bum-rushed by the alien and Dallas dies in the... In, in the vents. And it's it's a cool scene because he's kind of cornered in there and they're telling him... Move! Get out of there! Yeah, we get this is one of the jump scares in the movie because we do at one point he does turn and the alien's like, ah! Oh, yeah, that was super weird. It, it looked like fucking Pan's Labyrinth, that fucking like monster from Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. It was weird. Uh, they cut to Parker finding Dallas's gun and being like, there was no blood, nothing. He's just gone. And they're all kind of sitting there in the hub, the four of them. Yafet Koto is like, I'm going to fucking kill this motherfucker. Fuck this. Lambert is crumbling into a million pieces. Ripley, who is like calm, cool, and collected. She's like, just let me think. Okay, we got to still try to get it out through the vents. Yeah. And they're all like, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? And she's like, shut the fuck up. We don't have any else, anything else better to do, do we? The, the escape ship doesn't fit four people so we have to do this but she's she's a badass she takes command of her fucking crew she's the captain now she is the captain now and you know yafet koto is being a hothead rightfully so it's been a hard fucking day okay we forgive you but she's taking control and she sends yafet and lambert off to do something and then she's talking to ash and she's like what the fuck is going on? Have you talked to Mother, who is like their... The ship. 
Yeah, it's it's basically like the computer. It's our how nine. It's our how nine thousand. Essentially, yes. So she she's like, "Have you talked to mother? What is she, what has mother said?" He's like, "Oh, it's it's unclear." Oh really? Okay, it's unclear. Well, I'm the captain now. As I said, I am the captain now. So I'm gonna go and talk to mother and get some fucking answers. So toodaloo. So long, farewell. Get the fuck out of my face. Yeah. So she goes into the mother base. And kind of is typing away, trying to figure out what's going on. And it turns out there's a file in there that only the medical officer is supposed to read. Hmm. Hmm. A secret file that only Ash can read? Hmm. That seems suspicious. She overrides the file. And Damn straight. And sa- it says, bring the specimen back. Priority one. All other priorities are are rescinded, crew expendable. Shit. And it was so creepy because she she's like shocked by this and she leans back in the chair and like her her eyes are closed. And it was the second she leans back, the audience sees Ash just sitting there like right next to her face like, oh, hello, I can explain all of this. And you're like, what the fuck? So they start fighting. Yeah, she gives a, a good performance here because... She's so frustrated and upset. She starts crying, but she's still like roughing him up a little bit and like frustrated with him. And then she just walks out and Ash kind of traps her and then they start fighting. Yeah, there's a there's a moment where he hits Ripley and Ripley starts bleeding from the nose and Ripley hits him in the face and he starts bleeding white. Yeah, that was weird. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) What is that? He needs some milk. Okay, this is the part where I was like, okay, yeah, I kind of get the sexual weirdness now in this movie because, okay, she's knocked out, right? So if I'm a bad guy and I have a, a knocked out enemy at my feet, I'm gonna like, you know, pew pew or like if I don't want to make any noise just like strangle them or something with my hands or suffocate I'm not I don't think about these things very often I know it sounds very murdery of me but I I'm just I'm putting myself in Ash's shoes for a second okay but he doesn't do anything like that he doesn't do anything simple he picks up a magazine or like a newspaper or something rolls it up like he's gonna hit a dog on the nose with it and then just sticks it in her mouth and it's very phallic and uncomfortable. And it's like, oh, I don't like it. <laughs> and Ripley's like choking on it. She's trying to like shove him away. Try, But he's clearly overpowering her, which you're like, this is weird because... He, he, she's obviously strong. It's like, okay, she should be able to like put up more and of he's a fight. Like, he's that. a medical officer, but right. like where's the strength? So suddenly Parker comes back, Parker and Lampert, and they try, and they're now trying to rip Ash off. Parker at one point gets his like chest grabbed, and Ash is oh, like, yeah, trying he, to like. Ash is like a little titty squeeze on Parker, and he's like, ah. <laughs> and finally, they get him off Ripley, and they knock his head off. Oh yes, his head comes clean off. Like fuck, that's another thing that comes up in the other movie too, in uh, in Hocus Pocus, because we got Billy Butcherson getting his head kicked off. And now we have Ash getting decapitated as well. Yeah, and Ash... It's weird. Ash is kind of, like, fumbling around. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, my God, he's a robot. He's a fucking robot. And it's like, oh, okay. And apparently robots bleed milk. I wasn't aware of that, but they do. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Um, yeah, so they finally... Uh, they 
get Ash to the ground, and they like, okay, we have to rewake him up and find out what the fuck he knows. So Ripley gets his head, which you can clearly tell is fake initially, and then suddenly they cut to them, and then they cut to his real head sticking out of what must be the table. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure that's because they did that with uh, John Hurt in the chestburster scene, so I'm sure that's how they did it with him. But it looked really cool. It did. It looked great because he's covered in, like, the white, and he's talking kind of, like, robotically, and she's like, what the fuck is in that file? She, like, what does that mean? He goes, I think it's pretty obvious. It means bring this alien, and all of you can basically die. And she's like, is there any way to kill it? She's like, no, there's no way to kill it. It's the perfect specimen. I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathy. And then Ripley's just like, fuck you, and shuts him off. So this is all really good signs of what's to come. Yeah, so Ripley's like, okay. There's three of us now. We can get on the escape pod, because I guess the escape pod holds three. You two go get coolant for the escape pods. I'm going to go to the bridge and get ready to set the self-destruct sequence. So they go off. They all split up. And then Ripley hears over the loudspeaker. Jonesy. And Ripley must go get the cat. Well, I have to save my ass. <laughs> What kind of knight are you? One of a kind. Goddamn Shrek. <laughs> oh, God. So, Ripley is now on the hunt for Jonesy. She finds Jonesy. While this is going on, Parker and Lambert are packing, like, getting all the coolant out, and then the alien steps in front of Lambert, and she's petrified. She is scared basically motionless yeah she's bugging and uh parker yells over to her get out of the way get out of the way so i can get it and she's just frozen so so parker decides i'm going to fight this thing yeah and it doesn't work out too good no parker gets killed pretty effortlessly yeah um fun fact the effects regarding parker's death you essentially see his head essentially imploded by this alien. He's like bleeding everywhere. And apparently they used a fiberglass cast of Yafet Koto's head filled with pig brains. Oh, that's nice. So that's kind of gross. <laughs> Just a little. But so I was really sad when he died. I mean, I knew he was going to because I know enough about Alien to know that like Ripley was the only one that lives at the end. Yeah. But it was still a bummer. Yeah, he, he, he put up the best fight against the alien here. I mean, it was a pretty short fight. He literally lunged at the thing and it just like bitch slapped him with its tail. Well, yeah, and then it, Lambert gets got next pretty much effortlessly. Yeah. So Ripley comes running and then sees both their dead bodies. She's like, okay, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Uh, she starts running. She sets the self-destruct, which is for 10 minutes. She realizes the alien is in her way from the escape pod. So she has like, shit, 
I had to go back because apparently if you don't shut off the self-destruct within five minutes of first arming it, you can't shut it off then. She runs back, doesn't make it in time, runs back uh, with her flamethrower, grabs Jonesy the aliens, magically gone. She gets on the space shuttle, flies away, and then the Stromo blows up. Uh, yeah, I think now's a good time to mention the sound design in the movie. Also, the score. The sound design is great, though, because throughout the whole movie, there's these instances of these really loud like environmental sounds or industrial-type sounds throughout the ship starkly contrasts with just dead silence. So I just, I feel like that contrast was really jarring, but in a good way. And also the score, I feel like, I feel like for horror movies, a lot of the scores are the same. Just because, I mean, a lot of horror movies, I feel like, are the same. But a lot of times they're very overwhelming and very like, da-da, da-da, da-da-da. But like, this was very subtle. There were moments when it kind of swelled and got like loud and spooky, but like it wasn't, again, wasn't overused. It was done at like the perfect times, which there's one point right here where we'll get to it. But Golden Globe nominated, done by Jerry Goldsmith, who we've talked about before on this show. He did the Burbs score. He also did the score for Gremlins, Mulan, Total Recall. So he's obviously a very very talented guy and it shows because right here where you think Ripley is safe you think she's fine you think she's home free and obviously if you watch movies at all you know like okay something's gonna happen right now this isn't over the movie faked me out to be fair to give it credit because it proceeded to show Ripley like taking care of the cat and like taking off her work clothes and like you know walking around in her underwear because you know Sigourney Weaver she fine and Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know just chilling and it was very like somber and monotonous and chill for like a while and I'm like wait are they really ending it is nothing happening what's happening and then right like the last minute where you almost get tricked into thinking it's over you hear a little swell in the score and the alien kind of adjusts itself and moves. Yeah, she freaks out and like runs into a closet. <laughs> the alien has stowed away onto the ship and she is bugging out. She's like, holy shit, the alien's here. I have to figure out a way to get it out of the pipes. And now... I think it's a perfect time before we get to the climax of climaxes to start one of our favorite segments in this show. The The cast could have been. Space. No one can hear you scream. So I only have a couple of cast could have been for this movie, but I did want to take the time to mention them because I think there's some interesting stuff in here. So, first things first, let's start out with Dallas. Okay. Obviously, as we were saying earlier, he kind of was heralded as the main character through the first half of the movie and before everything went left and Ripley kind of took over. 
I found two cast could have been for his character. The first of which being Tommy Lee Jones. Okay. Which I think would have been interesting. Tommy Lee Jones is one of those actors that, you know, he's he usually does very well. He's he does. He's one of those gruff, rough and tumble characters. He is. Um, but the one I found even more interesting was an actor who was offered the role but then turned it down. Do you want to guess? Guess one of the billions of actors out there, Scott. Well, think about late 70s. What was really big in the late 70s and who was really big in the late 70s? Stallone? No, but that would be fucking incredible. <laughs> I'm just picturing that now. Hey, you know, Ripley, you know, if you wanted to go and get that alien, then well, I don't know what you want me to do. No, Harrison Ford was offered the role. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Which I can understand why he turned it down, because he was probably fucking sick to death of space movies at that point. <laughs> but if you think about it, like, hmm, I could be like a Han Solo type and get killed? I mean, yeah, I'm sure that part was appealing. <laughs> <laughs> Though if Harrison Ford was the main character, there's no way Ripley would have been the the last one alive. Yeah, they probably would have had to switch it around, I guess. I don't know, but just because I, I think I don't I don't know because I think it would have even made it more of a twist to the audience because you would just assume Harrison Ford being what he was back then that like obviously he's going to be the main star throughout the whole movie and make it to the end, you know, and then he dies halfway through. That would be fucking crazy. Uh, don't get me wrong. It would be crazy, but I feel like a lot of times when you have an actor, especially at this point, at that point where Harrison Ford is that big, you can't kill him off. You can't. Um, now, I don't know. Like, I don't know nowadays... I, I can understand why they wouldn't... Like, you know, despite what Harrison Ford wanted throughout Star Wars, the original trilogy, I can understand why they wouldn't kill Han Solo off because he's such an integral character. However, I think that Harrison Ford being in this movie would have only helped the shock of it, of Dallas dying halfway through. Oh, don't get me wrong. It would have been shocking. I just don't think they would have had the balls. I think that's probably why. Yeah, but that's probably why they asked him. But then he turned it down because, like, bitch, I'm already in a space movie. I don't need another one. (laughs) To reference the thing before, John Carpenter didn't want Kurt Russell as the main character because he thought Kurt Russell was too famous. So, like, Harrison Ford might have been too famous. Yeah, I think, ultimately, Tom Skerritt did a good job because, you know, I don't know how well-known he was before this, but I think the whole cast was pretty much relatively unknown and I think that helped a lot especially with Tom Skerritt's character because you were able to relate to him more yes you were able to relate to all of them really more because you didn't look at them and see Harrison Ford or some other big name it was just oh that's a guy in the 70s look at all that hair and look at all that hair (laughs) look at all that hair so Ultimately, I think the casting was was great in this film. I think yes, and I mean it. You know, it was only helped by Ridley Scott because, from what I read, he did a lot of stuff with the cast off camera. Like they had the cast members from the crew of the Nostromo eat separately from Blahi Badejo, who played the Xenomorph. Yeah, 
just to keep up that tension between them. And also he apparently told Yafet Kodo to give shit to Sigourney Weaver off camera in order to bump up the tension between them and their character. So I, I think just the chemistry between everybody was really well done. But uh, let's move on to what we really want to talk about. Let's talk about Ripley. Yeah, let's talk about her. I only found one cast could have been for this. Okay. And it's a very strong one. Apparently, the final two actresses in line for this role was Sigourney Weaver and this actress. Do you want to try and guess again? Uh, I don't know. Fuck it. I don't know. I'm bad at this. Meryl Streep. I would have never guessed Meryl fucking Streep. So Meryl Streep was in line to be Ripley, and I think it would have been very interesting to see her in that role. She probably would have fucking killed it because she kills everything she does. But then again, so does Sigourney Weaver, and I feel like Sigourney, she brought a real toughness to this role that I don't know if Meryl could have matched. No, I... I, I like, because, f- I mean, Meryl's, Meryl's a tough broad, but I don't know if i've really seen a lot of movies with her in that kind of position you know what i mean yeah it's like the tough badass bitch yeah uh, fighting off the fucking aliens <laughs> you know yeah definitely agreed uh sigourney kind of became a horror icon after this meryl's much more of a dramatic icon sure definitely so that was the cast could have been get to the climax of climaxes yes so the alien is in the pipes ripley is putting on a space suit she's sneaking around then she tries to use gas to basically change the temperature and shoot cold air at the alien to cause it to freak out which it does it freaks the fuck out and she finally gets the alien out of the pipes the alien starts walking over towards her she opens the airlock of the ship. The alien grabs the sides of the door. Ripley shoots it with a grappling gun. As you do. As you do. Knocking it out of the door. She closes the airlock, but the alien has grabbed onto the booster of the ship. She turns on the boosters. And this, this girl, girl is, is on, on fire! fire! Oh, God. Uh, and she lights the alien up ablaze. Yeah, so Ripley survives. And then we get the kind of like she puts herself into stasis and that's the end of the movie. It's kind of a weird ending too. It is kind of, I mean, she's giving her final report, her captain's log as it were. And then she just like picks up her little kitty cat and goes into the little sleepy time thing and that's it. Yeah, so that is Alien. It's aged really well. Again, it's slow in some parts, but it's it's still a very good movie. Yes. I I don't love the pacing at all times in this. However, I do feel like the the cast and the direction and the 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 music, the sound, it all comes together really well. The design obviously is sick. Yeah, it's it's a classic for a reason. I'm glad I finally watched it. So, Frankie? Yes. What is your final rating for the movie Alien? 
I gave Alien a 3.5 out of 5 stars. Ah. I I enjoyed it a great deal. I don't know if I would ever like rush to want to watch it again, but I enjoyed it and I appreciated the artistry of it a lot. Yeah, I definitely admit it is a classic movie. Uh, I have it rated as a four out of five. I admit, you know, it's got some, it's got some issues, but Sigourney Weaver is fucking amazing. Yavakoto is also amazing. The whole cast is really good. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's a definitely a great movie to continue our spoopy October. Woo! Yes. <laughs> So next week, uh, we will be continuing with our spoopy October by me introducing Scott to another horror film, another classic that is a a must-see. I'm excited to show it to him. But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast, and I'm Frankie Sparks. I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at ShootTheFlick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our terrifying, spookifying movie adventure. Ah! Ink, she got a head.